to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. Hey folks, welcome to another episode on podcast Freshly Forever. Today we have a guest who is actually a returning guest on the show, and that's Dr. Janine Janot. Uh, so pleased to have her here again with us. Dr. Janot has a master's degree in school psychology from the Ohio State University and a doctorate in child and developmental psychology from the University of Connecticut. She has also been a college instructor teaching psychology courses and freshman seminars. And she's also the author of The Disintegrating Students, a wonderful book that provides a roadmap to navigate the dawning journey through today's high-stakes, high-stress education experience. Welcome, Janine, to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Oh, same here. And I guess last time we talked all about, you know, modern-day student life and its impact on um, students and parents alike. Uh, But I guess it's worth focusing on achievement culture and how that plays into the life of a student. So... How about we get started with what is achievement culture and have we been seeing this only recently, Janine? Yeah, that's such an interesting question um, because I've spent you know the last couple of years talking about <clears throat> our disintegrating students and what that looks like and uh-huh. what at the root of the disintegrating student, which is the part that fascinated me is like, why are these students falling apart? Um, just uh-huh. it makes sense. At the root of that, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the root cause is this achievement culture. Um, and, you know, as far as is, is it something new? Is it just recent? You know, humans have been educating humans for centuries. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's only been in the last you know few decades that we're seeing the rise of this, you know, what I call the achievement culture. So it's, you know, in you know, long-term scope, it's, it's definitely something new, but as far as, you know, our immediate experiences go, this has been going on for several generations, probably starting right around the time we were in high school or, or moving out of high school. So, um, it's been developing over a long time. And just to give a definition of what I think it is, um, I think it's really important to understand what what we mean by culture. And I like to define culture in psychological terms, which the definition of psychology is culture is a set of ideas, behaviors, attitudes and traditions, you know, that exist within large groups of people. And they're passed on from generation to generation. And they're typically Uh pretty resistant to change. So Uh what we're seeing here is, you know, I equate it to a fish in water. You know, if you ask a fish how the water is, the fish is like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm just in the water. I don't notice the water. Um, And so when we talk about anything that's culture related, it's impacting how we behave, how we think, what our attitudes and assumptions are, but we're really not aware of it. And so the achievement culture has been, um, has been promoting the ideas and assumptions and traditions around high stakes, high pressure, high rigor, you know, pushing this early and earlier on our students and, you know, what we're seeing and how that impacts our students as far as how they disintegrate, you know, we're seeing that rigor outpacing their skills and their developmental readiness. And Uh so it just doesn't end well. 
Okay. And how then do you think students respond to this scenario? I mean, it looks like, you know, like we are now in this ever-changing world and, you know, we are just, like you said over there, you know, high stakes, high rigor. How are the students responding to it as an expert on um, evaluating and um, sort of, you know, working with disintegrating students? How then do you feel um, students respond to this situation? Well, first and foremost, they're responding with um, mental health issues. They're, That's sad. Yeah. So we're seeing way more anxiety, depression, um, suicidality, eating disorders. I mean, you kind of name it and we're seeing it at younger and younger age and larger and larger numbers. So that's, you know, so when, when I think about how it's impacting them, I'd say first and foremost, it's that in that mental wellness space. And then the trickle down from that is it starts impacting them at school mm-hmm. because it's very hard to think when you're in a state of threat. So if your nervous system is on threat mode, um, you know, I have to achieve, I have to achieve perfectly. Um, I've got all this pressure on me. It's do or die with the grades and the GPA and the test scores. If that's how you're functioning, you're not a very good learner. Your brain is not open to learning in that state. And how they trans, how that translates into day to day being a student is our students have the philosophy that I need to go to school and check the box. I need to do whatever I need to do just to get the grade. Um, Cheating has become a tool, a strategy that our students use. And it's very, you know, it's almost well accepted as far as like, yeah, that's what you do to check those boxes. Um, You know, I also think it's impacting our kids' relationships, uh, particularly family relationships because of all the pressure Uh, Mm -hmm. This is not, this does not set up, you know, especially teens and parents to get along swimmingly, which it's already challenging enough, (laughs) you know, the adolescent parent relationship, but you throw in all this, you know, all these expectations and all this pressure and the mental health issues, it becomes very, very challenging. And I think ultimately our kids just kind of walk away feeling like they're not enough. They're just not good enough. They're not smart enough. They're just not doing enough. And that's, you know, that's causing a problem. Okay. And do you seem to find that across the board, you know, to be one and the same or uh, like a certain percentage of students, you know, though they kind of feel it, but they are able to handle it better while the others, you know, kind of completely fall prey to the situation, unfortunately. Uh, So I guess that's one part of it. And the other part would be, then are all students able to find, you mentioned test scores. So are mm-hmm. they able to find a test score-based system conducive to their learning and development, Jenny? I think the important question to ask is, you know, what's the intent of the test scores? You know, what is the value add here? What are we getting from it? And I think we've just, um, the execution of how we assess students has become problematic. And I just, I actually just got done reading a really interesting, really thought provoking book called 10 Things Schools Get Wrong and How We Can Get Them Right um, by Jared Cooney Horvath and David Bott. And they had a really great chapter on grading. Mm -hmm. And what they were, um, 
what they were saying is that we really need to differentiate between assessing our kids and grading our kids. And they gave a, a interesting analogy of like those radar speed signs where you drive, you know, you drive past and your speed gets flashed at you. So you get that feedback, you know, you're going, mm-hmm. you're going 45 and a 25 that and it starts flashing and you know, I need to slow down. So uh-huh. that you, that's an assessment. That's an assessment of your speed. Now, if you drove past that same sign and it flashed a C plus at you, it's telling you something. It's saying, well, you're not good enough. Uh-huh. But compared to what, what, you know, do I need to go faster or do I need to go slower? You're not getting that feedback that actually, you know, fuels learning. So I think grades have fallen more into that trap of just being this, um, uh, what's the right way of saying it? Just way to rank our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it's like, okay, well, you're not as good as this kid, or you're like not as good norm, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Versus, you know, here's here's where you are in your learning. Here's where you are in your mastery of this. Without the message that you're just not good enough, mm-hmm. you're bad at this. Instead of being like, you're just on the journey of learning this. I mean, think of math. Think of how many kids say, I'm just bad at math. And how that impacts their their interests, their motivation, um, all the things that impact learning, you know, get a raw deal there. Versus if students didn't have the expectation you have to be here in this ranking of it to be good at math. So, I mean, this is that's a big ask. <laughs> to try to, to you know, because grades have been around for a long, long time. But again, I think the execution and what's behind that high rigor, high pressure um, push from the achievement culture has made grades rather dysfunctional. And I, I would, I would think teachers may agree with that as well. That it's not mm-hmm. giving them the information they need either. Oh yes, and what hip hiccups then do students face? Um, and obviously, it's impacting their morale, uh, like you touched upon when you were uh, responding earlier. So what actually do you see students facing? I mean, you really very, uh, even in your opening uh, remarks, you mentioned about mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if well, you were to just zero in on hiccups, what would you say to that? Well, I think it's driving um, a population of kids to be more perfectionistic than is helpful. So sort of maladaptive perfectionism has become fairly common in our students, particularly, you know, higher higher achieving students. Um, And I mean, you kind of touched on that, like, why do some students fall prey to becoming a disintegrating students and others don't? And perfectionism actually plays a role there. so what what ends up happening, the achievement culture sets these very high expectations. And because teachers are in the culture, um, colleges, universities are in the culture, parents are in the culture, students, we're all in the culture. So that everybody's sharing these very high expectations. And students are like, okay, I guess I have to figure out how to meet these. Um, and as, you know, as sort of the adults in the life of students, teachers, parents, um, you know, we we say what we think are encouraging things like, hey, do your best. We just want you to reach your potential. We get really frustrated when we don't see good effort being put in. 
But how those kids hear that who start to become more perfectionistic is um, I need to do a hundred percent of the things at a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. So they're, they're looking for perfection and that uh-huh. doesn't exist. So when we say just do your best, well, to a kid who's perfectionistic, you know, that's impossible. So they get, that's where, that's why they start, you know, procrastinating, putting off these things because they, they feel unsuccessful. They feel unworthy. They feel not good enough. Um, and that's really probably one of the bigger drivers of anxiety in our kids today. Don't you think, you know, that's probably impacting them in uh, being able to, uh, what shall I say, absorb the material and learn everything as opposed to, you know, just uh, kind of like, okay, this is the tune. Let me just fall in line with the tune. Let me just adapt myself to this song, however it's played, correct? Correct. And just like I said before, the you know, if their brain is in threat mode, their nervous system is on high alert that, you know, this is a threatening situation. My self-esteem's on the line, my reputation's on whatever they feel is on the line. Their brain is not in the best space to be learning and be curious. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, you know, teachers probably feel it. So what role do you think teachers should play uh, at this point to be able to help students better? I mean, I guess, Overnight, you and I are not going to be able to change the system, but I think only conversations like these can lead to something. I mean, you pointed out that very nice book, you know, earlier on in this conversation and you have your own book, uh, you know, like so um, that's uh, we are just going to get to that a little bit more in detail later on in this conversation. Uh, But I guess. Um, that example of, you know, the flashing light when someone is speeding is great rather than that light saying, oh, you're a C plus or you're a, you know, like a B minus, whatever that might be. Yeah. What does that even mean? (laughs) How can teachers help students better? Teachers just need to be allowed to be teachers. Teachers are the experts when it comes to teaching students. And one of the big problems in education today, um, you know, and I don't think, in, I mean, the big problem in education is the achievement culture. I think we know how to educate other humans. We're, we've been doing it a long time. We're really good at that. Fundamentally, we know how to do that. The problem uh-huh. is we are not letting our teachers walk in the room and develop programs, policies, and practices for our kids. Instead, we look at, you know, corporations and big money, you know, big money interests, you know, and testing and politicians are, you know, have their, and even research, you know, they have their hand in this and then they tell teachers what to do. And sometimes that doesn't translate wonderfully into the classroom. So teachers are stuck. So I think we need to uh, untie their hands and we need to look at them to tell us what they need, you know, the classroom to look like. Mm -hmm. They need power and respect. (laughs) Sure. But even aside from that, you know, aside from the stage and state when they really get it, uh, but as a teacher, you know, and as a counselor, like as an expert in working with disintegrating students, how are you able to, you know, at least handle it? for now 
just so, oh, so you just, know, like yeah. whoever listen, is listening to this podcast can, you know, derive that, uh, you know, whatever the basic starting points at this stage. Yeah. So within the constraints of the current culture that we're in, I think communication, I mm-hmm. think listening to our students, um, giving them to be the experts on themselves. So mm-hmm. I think students are giving us a lot of information. We just don't, we're not responding well to it because we, it doesn't fit within the expectation of how things are supposed to go. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think we just have to pay attention to our kids and what they're saying. And, and again, you know, it, this check the box mentality does not serve them well. So how could we, you know, maybe at a pretty basic level, how could we reduce the number of, you know, graded tests? Could we go to more um, uh, project-based learning? Could we go to uh-huh. more, you know, make a portfolio, you know, demonstrate your work. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that we can kind of, I mean, tests are important. They're, you know, they have it, they have their use, but when that's it, it's really snuffing out the learning process, I think, for a lot of students. So to figure out how do we teach kids and then how do we figure out what they're learning, where they are, and how to help them in that process without overwhelming their nervous systems. Uh huh. And I think you really pointed out one aspect, communication. And right there, I think if a, if an educator can make their student feel welcome, uh, that's probably half the battle won, correct? Yes. And again, they want to feel like they're enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they're not getting that message as subtle and as unintentioned as it may be coming from the adult, um, that's really what they're seeking. They want to know that they're good enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, how then do we tweak this s- scenario? I mean, can the system be tweaked to, say, help serve both students and educators to stay motivated? I hope so. Um, I think we'd have to start with redefining success. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with an achievement culture. The problem is our achievement. I mean, we want our kids to achieve, obviously. We want everybody to achieve. But right now we're in that culture. We're defining success as data points. So Uh it's your GPA. It's the scholarship you got. It's your ACT, SAT score. Um, And and those kinds of things are, are... promoting the check the box mentality. We need to get back to something more akin to, you know, valuing the learning process, valuing curiosity, resilience, hope, all the things, you know, more value-based approach to achievement. Um, And it needs to be a bottom-up approach. So again, going back to the educators and students who are, you know, on the ground, the grassroots, figuring this out day to day, and then work our way up, um, you know, the ladder from them telling us these programs, practices, and policies would be helpful and let them try those out, see how they work out and implement implement things that are working that, that demonstrate good learning and better mental health outcomes um, instead of focusing from, you know, the you know top down, which is really uh-huh. the the corporations and the political interests that are influencing education. Okay. And how about um, any relevance of 
growth mindset or fixed mindset um, in the context of whatever we are talking. I mean, I know you you touch upon that beautifully in your book. Um, so does that have any uh, relevance as to how a student, you know, like uh, perceives themselves to be? It does. And, you know, we're not born with a fixed mindset. So the fixed mindset um, individual doesn't really, it's a very protective mindset. It feels, Mm -hmm. um, you feel like you're as smart as you are and you can't get any smarter. So when you start to, you know, reach that rigor point, you're getting, you're getting some feedback that says you're not smart anymore. And that causes a shutdown as far as like being willing to put in effort, being willing to challenge yourself. Um, It's a very defensive mindset to be in. And we want our students to move into a growth mindset. And what you know, we, you know, if you think of a little child, a baby, a toddler, they're a huge growth mindset. They, they try everything. They take risks. They involved in challenges. You know, they, they just continue to grow. And at some point we, particularly in education today, we are sort of cultivating our students to have more of that fixed mindset. And that uh-huh. is, you know, that is decreasing their well-being. Um, because it's a very threatening space to be in. Again, uh, it increases the likelihood they're going to potentially um, have anxiety around school and st- stressors around school. And, you know, it's not helping their achievement because, again, they're going to back off challenges and they're going to uh-huh. self-handicap and do things like that if they feel like they're not going to be successful. Um, but I think it's I definitely, so I definitely think the fixed mindset is contributing to how our students are disintegrating, but I think it's misguided to think that just shifting their mindset will get them high achieving again. Because I think, again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is I think that our mindset has more of an influence over our mental well-being, which then in a trickle-down manner is going to impact achievement. So, you know, I, I think our goal when we look at mindset is to think, you know, we can't just slap on some program, like here's what a growth mindset is and here's what Uh you should do. And, you know, that's a start, but it needs to come from all angles. It needs to come from home. It needs to come from school. And the intention I think would be better if we're focusing more on their mental well-being versus this is going to make you a better student. Oh, can't emphasize that enough, right? The mental well-being and how it trickles down. I mean, I think you have you have said it nice and loud and clear here. And uh, you pointed out something here, you know, home front and what we do at home. So what about the role of parents? Are we contributing to this also? Yeah, sadly, we are. Um, again, we're very well-intentioned in how we respond to our kids. Um, uh-huh. But we are in the culture. So we're in the water. And for us, you know, it's all about how we as parents are defining success for our kids. So I think the default way is to sort of go with the, it's the GPA, it's the grades, it's the college acceptance. This is, this means you're a successful student. Uh Um, High, high standardized test scores and so on. So, but our response to that to make sure that they get that success is to be really helpful 
in doing things like providing resources if we can for tutors and test prep and private schools and summer camps. And we're trying to eke out every possible increment of improvement and every data point increment increase we can. Um, and, and I think this translates to our kids as what I hear often is I think my parents care more about my grades than they do me. And parents are in effect, you know, they are showing them that the grades are important because they're so concerned about the data points and what uh-huh. success looks like. And this is a really hard issue because it's hard to be the one parent that goes, okay, well, we're not going to worry about your GPA and we're not going to worry about what college you get into and you just go. And it, it it's kind of impractical to kind of go the entire other way. But I think parents can help the situation quite a bit by just having honest conversations with their kids, like talking about why why grades are important in this culture. What does it mean to us as a family? What if you get a B or a C? How do we look at you if that happens? I think kids need to hear that explicitly that, you know what? You're still a good person if you get a C. You're still a smart kid if you get a C. We understand, you know, the environment that we're in and the impact it's having on all of us. So let's let's come up with some parameters within this achievement culture and make it work for us. And I think that may do a lot to protect the mental well-being of our students when they feel like the parents get it and they're on their side. Does that mm-hmm. does that make yeah, sense? I guess, yeah. I mean, um, I'm just in awe at whatever you're saying because again and again, everything is so connected to uh, the mental well-being and how we achieve that. in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever. Help me here, Janine. Uh, Is this then a matter of a few parents raising their hands and saying, hey, I own up to the fact that my kid did not get like a 1400 and above on an SAT or say like uh, 31 or 32 on an ACT or the fact that, okay, you know, out of the five colleges that are in my vicinity and two of them are like, say, top notch, you know, like everything, you know, it's uh, so well talked about in the country, but the other two or three may not be something that everybody around, you know, in the other States or outside of the country may know, but Hey, you know, give up all the so-called quote-unquote shame aspect Mm -hmm. and be able to own up and say, hey, that's what my kid is doing. My kid got like, say, like a 1200 on her SAT. And guess what? She's going to this community college or whatever it may be. So is that something that can help be a trendsetter for the future? It would be great because that would fundamentally start to change the culture Mm -hmm. because then that would be the expectation. And we just have to normalize normal when it comes to education, because that's normal. Not every kid is going to get a 32 on their ACT Mm -hmm. and not every kid is going to have a 4.0 plus GPA. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, for the kid who has a three, seven, five GPA, who's clearly very capable, you know, for them to feel not smart, not worthy, um, not good enough, it's just not okay. So I do, and I feel like we're just, I mean, it's like glacial, but I do feel like we're slowly moving in that direction. I think, you know, the pandemic helped a little bit there. Because I think we all got a huge dose of realism around school um, and what our kids are experiencing, what our teachers are experiencing. So, you know, baby steps. But but yes, I think that's that's like the small role each of us can play as parents um, to start moving the ball in the right direction. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say, OK, encourage your kid to, you know, like. Uh, or just have this conversation. Like you said, you know, it's important for parents and uh, the tweens and teens in our lives to have conversations or even the elementary school kids, because I think all the peer pressure and the societal demands start right from there, you know, even from kindergarten, unfortunately, you know, like we are like uh, setting expectations. But I guess we are not trying to say in this process, hey, it's okay, rest assured, slack off. And, you know, you don't have to just show up at your SAT, but I don't care. You know, like given that you're smart, you're probably already going to hit that 1100, but I don't care. I mean, that's not what we are trying to say here, correct? Um, correct. And it's, it's all about perspective and it's bigger than the grade and the score. Um you know, again, if we have the mindset that we're going to focus more on the learning process than the data check the box aspect of it, I, the questions I would ask a student if they were telling me, you know, I got a C on a test or I scored really low in the SAT or lower than expected kind of thing is, you know, here's here's what I want to know. What's behind it? You know, did you have access to the information? You know, for some reason, did you miss instruction or not have the learning materials? Uh-huh. What, was that was that instruction delivered well? Was it clear, accurate, understandable? You know, was it at your appropriate level? Did you study? Did you review? Did you self-test that information so you knew what you know and don't know? Because that's the whole point of studying. Um, and what was your mental and physical state while you were being tested? Were you coming down with something? Were you sick? Were you hungry? Were you upset about, you know, an interaction you had with a parent or a peer, there are all kinds of things that impact our performance. And we don't talk about that very often. Mm -hmm. And what do we say to those parents who are going to ask, say, hey, I'm willing to do all that, but I'm just worried that my kid may not land with the very best possible job offer, you know, if they don't go to the right college or whatever it may be. Uh, Because certain companies, unfortunately, you know, they don't look at the whole spectrum. They just look at, okay, you know, this is where uh, I'm going. So what then can we do to make those parents feel comfortable to come out of that shell, so to speak, and give up that quote unquote shame factor Mm -hmm. in alluding to the fact that, hey, okay, this is what my kid was able to do. And I'm still happy about him or her. Um, And like you said, the testing scenario or whatever that was, right? Kids these days, you know, like uh, the past year, kids, they had to go to a testing environment worrying about, oh, will I catch COVID? And they had to be masked while they sat and did a, a, you know, highly competitive test that would decide their future, for like three and a half hours. 
Right. Um, I, my heart goes out too. I mean, I, I'm that kind of parent too, that you know, it's taken me a very, very long time to be more comfortable with, you know, it's, it's the walk, the walk. I mean, I can sit here and talk the talk all day long, but it's very hard to really walk the walk. And, and it goes back to my sticky note that I mentioned in my book, you know, it's not about me. And I think for parents, because the culture is so entrenched, it's personal. It's personal if your kid doesn't do well, doesn't get into the school you anticipate, maybe doesn't go the career path that you anticipate. But if we want our kids um, to be mentally well and healthy and have good life outcomes, success, satisfaction, all those things that we, we really do want for our kids, one of the ways to kind of undermine that is to push them either when they're not ready or in a direction they don't want to go because ultimately they're the ones who need to do the work, you know, Mm -hmm. study for the test, do the application to get into the school, do the work in the school, apply for the job, you know, and you don't want to see a kid go through all the jump through all the hoops, check all the boxes. And I hear this so much from college students who are like, I hated where I ended up. Mm -hmm. I knew along the way there were signs this wasn't for me. And then there are this sort of crisis point in their 20s where it's like, now what do I do? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I we're doing our kids a service, but it's hard. I mean, it really I'm not trying to um, sugarcoat it at all. It is really hard. Okay. So what are some suggestions then? you would offer for someone to feel comfortable seeing that B on their test versus A's? Yeah, I would just shift the expectation, you know, that we're just, we're looking for you to, you know, be committed to showing up as your best student self in in the situations, but context matters. So again, all those things I mentioned about, you know, everything leading up to the test is it reasonable to expect that you would get the A? Is Can you look at that B as, yeah, okay, so if I had started studying earlier, I might have done better. If I, had, if I hadn't had that headache, I probably would have learned this material more. If I was getting more sleep, to really look, because, you know, if we just look at it as just the grade and then interpret that as to how smart we are, it's that's it's inaccurate. Uh-huh. It's just it's it's not good feedback. So I think kids and then kids if they can look at it that way, then they can say things like, "Okay, every time I don't get enough sleep, I tend to do worse on tests." And they can so make a right decision. It's an eye opener. It's an eye opener. If I don't study at least three or four days ahead of time. I tend not to do well on tests. So when they can start putting those pieces together, instead of just internalizing it, I'm stupid mm-hmm. or I'm, I'm lazy, I'm a procrastinator. They come up with all these things and then they, that's it. It's, it's like, okay, so are you going to do nothing different? Uh-huh. And, and when they can really come up with some solid, you know, maybe it is like the, maybe they do have a teacher and the instruction, it just doesn't marry up for them. So they're not learning well from a certain instructor. Well, other students might be in the class, but it just doesn't work for them. Those are all important things for them to actually put in the calculation of what does my grade mean? Mm-hmm. 
So this non-quantifiable, non-measuring approach, if we can adopt, at least, you know, to some extent, uh, would that help foster an environment of great thinkers and learners? Not necessarily. I mean, I don't think we have to scrap grades altogether if we're able to shift the importance of grades and maybe look at them. I think we'd have to have a fundamental, like new way of looking at grades and their purpose. And, you know, that would kind of have to come from, you know, the educational system from basically the university systems downward, which you're already kind of seeing that shift with, you know, like ACT, SAT scores, standardized test scores, where the universities are going, huh, well, maybe that isn't the end all be all. And maybe we can make really good admission choices without that information. And Uh so I think the same kind of, you know, shift in thinking a little bit of a pivot around grading in lower grades could be as beneficial. And then we just have to figure out how do we measure mastery and communicate progress, you know, learning progress to students. Yeah, I mean, but this is, again, it's going to have to come, the buy-in is going to have to come at that cultural level, then the, the, you know, from society, from employers, universities, administrators, educators, down to parents and students. So, you know, we're going to react as parents and students are going to react. What does the school want from us? When the school is going to react, what does the university want from us? And the university is going to react. What does the employers want from us? So it's not, if we try to fix it in one place without bringing in all the stakeholders, I don't see how it works. I guess that can happen when automatically when parents respond um, in a way that they are more accepting of what their student does, correct? I think if that parent support system can bring it to the forefront, to the school, I mean, instead of succumbing overall. And I guess that communication aspect that you talked about, that's also automatically going to help the student feel more comfortable that, hey, I have like, you know, someone got my back and I can just go talk to my teacher. I can go talk to my parent or my parents or my siblings. And I guess that can help foster a situation where the student automatically is able to, you know, kind of feel more comfortable to receive all the resources that are being put in front of him or her. Don't you think? I agree. Yeah, they won't be in threat mode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I guess is that like uh, an option or like a way to go to resolve all the anxiety, burnout, and the aspects that limit student potential? Currently, you know, like probably we are limiting in a myriad of ways. Mm-hmm. So the burnout, I think, and I talked a lot about this to parents this year, um, because I feel like everybody was burned out, you know, our students, mm-hmm. parents, educators, I mean, just basically everybody. Um, and, but, you know, the, the ingredients of that is high pressure, low control, a lot of uncertainty, and lacking meaning. And for students, if you ask students, you know, to check the boxes of those things, I just mentioned around school, it'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 all of those. Um, And that, you know, that's fueling, you know, you take the, those cause anxiety. um, But with that plus low motivation, 
um, low control, that is just, that's what's burning out our kids. And the problem is you can't just say, get over it. Mm-hmm. You don't get over burnout. Burnout is like this, basically your body just shuts down and says, I am not doing this. I can't, I won't allow you <laughs> to do this. And what it's, it's dictating, you need rest. You need to relax mm-hmm. and it's pushing us into, so it might look like, you know, a person in burnout might look like they're being just super lazy, um, you know, just can't do anything. Well, they really are. They're under functioning because their body is trying to, their body and brain are working together to say, whoa, we got to get this person back on track. Um, it's like their tank is empty. And the only way you fill it back up again is to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. to get good rest, to give yourself breaks. So to keep pushing through what feels like burnout, even be, even pre-burnout, the more you push yourself, the more you're just going to be in that state of paralysis at some point. And you're going to have to, your, your mind and body are going to work together to force you to mm-hmm. take the break. And even if we at home as parents or whatever, as the student themselves does not realize the need for it, I guess at that point, owning up to that vulnerability and seeking an expert like you to, you know, kind of assist in the process of resolving that situation becomes important, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I guess a lot of us, you know, we are in denial mode and we don't really think. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah. It's like we just... um think, oh, no, 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 I can get over this. You know, I'm so good at this, you know, right there, you know, then we start to put on our hat of, okay, the expert, right? The jack of mm-hmm. all trades. Well, we get, we start shooting ourselves. I should be able to do this. I should be, I should be, I should be, um, versus what you need to be doing. Uh, so I think, you know, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Sure, sure. So the college process and testing, you know, we talked about that. And, you know, again, if a student doesn't fall in the 95th percentile in their SAT or they are not over a 30 in the SAT, then what is the message we should be sending here to those students? Are they like a failure or how how can they help uh, better their situation? And based on your experience, have you seen students that are faring really well in school for some reason not get very good uh, scores on their standardized tests? Yeah, there's lots of reasons students might not, you know, hit that 90, 95th percentile on their their testing. So, I mean, you know, there's some cultural limitations to the testing. There are um, individual differences in testing as far as students who have ADHD, for example, or any executive functioning you know, kind of um, weaker areas where, you know, maybe they have trouble concentrating for a long time. Maybe they have some processing issues with transferring, um, you know, their to the bubble score sheet, putting in their end. There are all kinds of things that make students not great testers, not the least of which is test anxiety, which is a growing problem in our kids. So kids who are starting to get that feedback and you know, they're taking these standardized tests you know, usually starting around the junior year. And that's about the time that a lot of these kids who are going to hit their rigor tipping point have hit it. So they're already kind of engaging in a little bit of test anxiety because the feedback is not good on a Uh consistent basis from their testing. So it's just a, it's a, you know, 
self-perpetuating cycle that happens. So there are all kinds of reasons our kids may not be um, demonstrating their potential through those test scores. You know, and the fact that we have to even ask if it means that they're going to, you know, if they are a failure, if they're not going to make it to college. I mean, that's, that's a function of how we think about these tests. They've, they've gained way more impact than they, than they should. Um, and, and I, I like to think of, you know, in a test-free situation, think of the junior who has it typically devotes a lot of time to either worrying about and or preparing for those tests and mm-hmm. taking those tests over and over again. What could they be doing with that time and that energy? I mean, personally or academically. I mean, that would be that would fundamentally shift the junior year in quite a way. I, I mean, I hear middle school students will tell me they know about the junior year. And they start to worry about it like in eighth grade. And so you shouldn't even know this. So, you know, I hope that particularly colleges are taking a super big chill pill on the value they're placing on these standardized tests. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they serve a role. They, they give some information, but it should not be the end all be all. And it should not be the determining factor or the biggest factor. I think a lot of colleges are seeing, wow, maybe we need to take a more holistic approach to admitting students to college. Let's look, let's look at them more broadly, um, not just the data. And if we can really keep that kind of thinking going, I think we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what then if we were to like sum up and say, Uh, as takeaways, some different possibilities and ways to improve student life. Um, What would Dr. Geno's recipe be? Oh, you know, I, this is not my strength um, because I've been really good at identifying the problem and (laughs) knowing what's wrong. This is hard. And I think it's hard because it's big. Again, we've been educating humans for a very, very, for centuries. And one person doesn't come in and say, this will fix it. I think it's way too complicated um, for my brain to um, kind of come up with, this is the thing to do to improve life for students. But what I do think is that if we focus on letting teachers be involved in this process more heavily, combined with the research of how we understand student, you know, child development is really important to understand. Psychology is really important to understand. The research behind learning and cognitive processing is really important to understand. The science behind sleep. If we take all those things together and then we look at our current policies, things like attendance policies, the length of the school day, the length of the school year, how many classes the students take, um, all those kinds of things should be fair game to tweak. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think anybody's going to accept somebody coming in and saying, well, we're eliminating, you know, attendance policy or we're eliminating, um, you know, we're making class times 30 minutes. But how do we not know that a 30 minute class time might not be better 
or yeah. an extended class time might not be better. We're, we're, we're stuck. We're entrenched in this is the way we've always done it. And it's just time to say, well, what if? Mm-hmm. And, and look at programs that are experimenting with that kind of stuff. And on a small scale, start, you know, pivoting here and there and look at the outcomes. Wonderful. And your upcoming book release. Why don't we talk about that? So the disintegrating student is being re-released. Um, uh, Kensington Publishing is putting it out. The book and audio book will be available July 27th. Any place that you buy books. Um, and you know, you can find out lots of information about me and my books and speaking and all that stuff on my website, janinejanot.com. I also, I don't blog, but I do have a monthly newsletter called Some Thoughts. (laughs) And I realized, oh, my Some Thoughts are pretty much a blog, but I send it out the first of the month. So you can sign up for that newsletter on my website if you're interested. And there's links to my social media platforms too. Oh, highly recommend uh, the newsletter and um, thank you all of, all of what you um, say and you know you're a huge proponent of working with students the right way and uh, I completely appreciate all that you do and I'm sure many many listeners across the globe will find it you know um, so useful because this podcast has as of now reached over 1,000 cities worldwide in about 65 countries at least and, That's uh, awesome. And I think, um, you know, this topic of, you know, the peer pressure, the achievement culture and everything that we find ourselves immersed in hopefully can change. Uh, because at least if uh, five parents, uh, which includes me, <laughs> hopefully can say, hey, no, 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 no. I'm OK with whatever school my daughter attends and I'm OK with uh you know, owning up to the fact that after all, you know, on one exam, you know, she just did not do well or whatever it may be. I think having those open conversations is going to make uh, students also feel comfortable that they are needing the, or rather they are able to resort to the much needed help that they need. Um, and I think that's uh, more than half the battle won right there. Thank you, Dr. Jano, for such a enlightening conversation one more time and it's always a pleasure talking to you oh thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure as always folks uh, send me your feedback and the social media follow is at yp kumar and for all things um, lifestyle and uh, digital media follow me there and i'll see you back again next week with yet another interesting guest and yet another interesting topic Until then, it's why saying so long.